0: Hello Canucks fans and welcome back to another episode of Canucks conversation. We've got two games to break down today. It's a very, very busy show of Canucks conversation and it is brought to you by HSBC Rugby Sevens. For three full days from February 23rd to 25th, BC Place is going to be the place to be. And that's because for the ninth time HSBC World Rugby Sevens is coming to Vancouver. Enjoy a next level rugby experience with VIP tickets from just $130 a day, giving you the best seats in the house, player access, private bar and lounge access, in-seat food and beverage service hsbc vancouver sevens where high caliber rugby and the ultimate party weekend collide harm you and i gotta get out there my name is dave guadrelli that is harman Dial, and our technical producer today a very special
1: there he is he's back he's back people he's back, he's
0: back. and i want people to know Faber's coming on at some point. Oh, of course, Aaron Bordado. not steal your thunder, Aaron, because Aaron and I were texting about this, getting the whole band back together. Uh, I tried to bring Faber back on. I almost said bring Harm back on. Harmon's here. But I tried to bring Faber on. He's going to do it, folks. He's going to do it one day. But he's he's a little tied up today. A little tied up today. Um, so Faber isn't coming on the show just yet, but I'm working on it, folks. I'm working on landing the big fish, uh, Chris Faber, to I'm come gonna back. I'm going to get the
1: band back today. together. I need a reunion tour. One last time, you know, we do a tour, maybe some live podcasts. Harmon, oh. it is nice to see you, though. How you doing?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's great to see you. And what a, what a weird situation for us to sort of be recording in 10 a.m. Canucks game. It's more a post-game pod than it is. Uh, the, usually on a game day we'd be setting up the game, but honestly, kind of like um, like it the way it is right now, where we get fresh uh, get a fresh game to talk about. I bet a lot of people didn't get a chance to watch it because of uh, the 10 a.m. Lo- local start here in Vancouver. But I will say, it's funny. About a week ago, <clears throat> I was emailed this study by some PR firm that said 63% of Canadians admit to watching sports at work. I wonder how many how many people uh, in Vancouver offices or, you know, whether it's in person or work from work from home were quietly keeping the Canucks game open in the other tab.
0: <laughs> Probably a lot.
2: Probably a lot. And I know
0: Aaron's got the football game on. Aaron, who's doing the football right now? Oh, no, I know this It's the Pittsburgh Steelers and Buffalo Bills
1: you damn right, Quads, and it looks incredibly snowy and incredibly cold. I'm sure you all saw the videos out there at Orchard Park. They had to move the game from Saturday to today, and there is so much I mean- snow out there
0: let's start there actually because it was funny right before we went to air gents we were talking about what are we going to talk about today like are we going to break down just the game against the columbus blue jackets but there was a game against the buffalo sabers too and there was a lot of travel woes so i think we'll start there we'll start in buffalo canucks take the one nothing victory uh that was a solid game we don't need to break it down too too much i think what it showed Harmon was that This is a team that can kind of adapt and take down a different team, you know, different ways, right? Like when teams throw different things at you, they're able to kind of adapt and that's what they did against the Buffalo Sabres. And look, Aaron, I know your Oilers are are roaring right now, but the Canucks are staying at the top of the Pacific and Aaron, we'll bring you back in soon. Uh, But Harmon, let's, let's start with this Buffalo game real quick here. Um, They adapted like Buffalo started to play a really chippy style. The Canucks were at the tail end of the road trip and they just locked it down. Um, They weren't bullied physically. Like I I thought even Elias Pettersson, who Buffalo started to take shots at, Elias Pettersson starts throwing the body around more. It's not one of these situations where, you know, your star player starts getting targeted. So he shies away and other people have to step up. Some extent you need that. But Elias Pettersson was throwing the weight around in that game against Buffalo when it started to ramp up in physicality.
2: Yeah, and he's been doing it really all season. We've seen that ramped up physicality. I mean, I think back to even the season opener when he rocked Cody CC. Where it's one thing to throw a big hit on on the forecheck. Let's say last season against Jonas Siegenthaler really stood out, but to do it against a bigger body like CC in that season opener, I was like, okay, this guy is adding a new dimension to his game. And yeah, you saw it. You saw it in the Buffalo game. Um, JT Miller also taking care of um, business after his hits, being able to stand up for himself. And that's an area where at the end of last season, I was really curious to see how the Canucks would address the fact that they're going to lose Luke Shen and Cal Burroughs, two of their toughest, most physical players. And I mean, part of it, of course, has been adding bigger, meatier bodies on the back end. Um, Not guys that are necessarily going to drop the gloves all the time, but they're big, they're strong. They're not going to take crap from anybody. When you think of Carson Soucy, Ian Cole, Nikita Zadorov recently. Um, And up front, I mean, it's great that this year Dakota Joshua has been, I think more consistently physical, not in the sense of throwing huge hits, but I believe he's top five among all a- NHL players and hits this season. Last I checked. So they're sort of doing it as a team. And even when you look at how the Canucks generate offense as a whole this year, we've spoken about their success, screening goaltenders, uh, tips, deflections. They play such a tenacious style. And uh, you even look at the identity of uh, the fourth line, for example, that's not the toughest line on paper, but, they play such a workmanlike blue collar style where Hoaglander is such a gritty gets under your skin type. And we saw it again in the Columbus game where he against a pretty good puck mover and Damon Severson bumped him. Um, and Severson got annoyed and took us, took a stupid penalty. So you've got his work rate. Oman is, is a great example of a guy who compared to last year, does a much better job of staying on his feet and, um, looked bigger and stronger all the way going back to training camp and then Lafferty as well as another acquisition who gives you a bigger body um some speed some tenacity it's been the identity of the third line as well um that's actually one area where again at the end of last season I was thinking to myself is this a team that might get pushed around because on paper I do think they're not that big in terms of their forward group but I've been quietly impressed at the sort of work rate um the energy and the overall um culture that talk it's been able to instill because I've never worried about that side of uh, the game.
0: And that fourth line in Buffalo, obviously, Sam Lafferty scores the only goal of the game, goes on to be the game winner, of course. And that was a solid game for the fourth line today as well. Niels Huglander draws a penalty. So when you talk about tenacity, when you talk about physicality, a lot of it is just commitment to getting into those tough areas, right? You don't have to be the biggest guy, as we've seen with Niels Huglander. Um, and sometimes the physicality isn't all about just you know throwing these huge hits, like you just said um sometimes it's about drawing penalties because you're playing so tenacious the way Niels huglander was today uh against the buffalo sabers so two good games in a row for the fourth line um thatcher demko was good in that game against buffalo i thought buffalo started to pour it on uh, especially toward the end and i think that was kind of the same thing today in the game against the blue jackets and we'll shift to that game against the blue jackets uh where casey DeSmith. smith was very good in goal for the Canucks. Canucks go on to lose in a shootout by final score of four to three. I just want to say, the Canucks need to stop shooting five hole and Elvis Merzlikens. Like every shot they took was like they were trying to pass it through his legs. It was, I don't know. Like we've seen Elias person be so proficient in the shootout, and they must have pre-scouted it right. Um, and Ian Clark is a name that's going to be brought up later in this show, but uh, they must have pre-scouted that Merzlikins is not great with the five holes on the pe- on the penalty shots and. Uh, in the shootout because that was all they did in the shootout And eventually, like I said, they go on to lose, but they take 11 of a possible 14 points on this road trip. We're going to spend more of tomorrow's show breaking down the road trip as a whole. Cause the Canucks don't play again until Thursday, but I thought today would be a good chance to just, you know, we never get to do post games Harmon. So let's make this a bit of a post game show uh, and talk about this game against the blue jackets more than anything else.
2: Yeah. And Heading into this game, the Canucks had every reason to lose this contest. I mean, you're talking about the longest road trip of the season at seven games. This being the last one, fifth game in eight nights, a weird 1 p.m. start time for them on on the uh, Eastern Standard Time Uh, delays getting to Columbus because of the weather. This was always going to be a slog to get through and you You could tell through the second and third periods where the Canucks were really sloppy and careless with the puck, which is sort of uncharacteristic of this group. And it's because when you're tired, you make mental mistakes. So the formula for how they tried to squeeze out the one point, I thought they executed it really well, to be totally honest. And what I mean by that is they came out of the gate flying. When you know you've got at least some energy in the tank, they started the game with an eight uh, eight nothing edge on shots, uh, Miller line got the opening goal off a off a pinballing um, sort of play, and what I also thought was massive was quietly after that opening goal, Vancouver's play started to slip a little bit. That's when I started to see okay, they're turning it over a little bit more. You can tell they're a little bit fatigued, but after the Blue Jackets tied it, shout out to the Garland line for. Again, dragging this Canucks team back into it, changing the momentum with uh, with the Garland goal because the Canucks knew, look, second and third periods, that's especially when you're not really going to have your legs anymore. And if you're in a tie situation or trailing, there's a good chance you're going to lose the game. So coming out of the first period with the lead was going to be massive. And that's where for that line to get in on the four check to to go to Joshua did a terrific job. And then Teddy Bluger as well. I mean, how much offensive confidence does this guy have these days to where he wins the puck? And I don't know if you saw, but he barely even looked at Garland. It was such a deceptive, clever pass where look, sometimes if before you make the play, you're looking over your shoulder into the slot, everybody knows where you're looking to pass the puck, but Bluger didn't give that tell which I think is a big reason why Garland sort of went undetected in the slot there. And then for Garland to finish that type of chance, which at earlier points in the season, we know Garland's not the best natural finisher he hasn't converted on. That was as clean of a finish as you're going to get. And that was massive because from two one, at least they were in a position where it's like, okay, let's just hold the fort uh, through the second and third periods. And Desmith was obviously a massive uh, part of why they were able to get at least one point.
0: And Teddy Bluger, a guy signed to play on the fourth line. He's been that and so much more for this team, obviously. And before he signed here, he said he had, or excuse me, when he signed here, he said he had more offense to give than he was showing to his, to that point in his NHL career. And he's proved that, like he's proved that this year that he does have more offense to give. And the fact that the Canucks have both him and Suter able to play as middle six centers, not necessarily bottom six centers, like, that's a really, really key part to this team's success, I think. And look, as much as we're going to keep talking about the need to go get another top six forward, if you're loading up and you actually want to make a push at the Cup here, uh, you need you need these guys to keep playing the way that they are. They've been they've been even better as a, than advertised so far for the Canucks. And yeah, like you said, Casey Desmith came up huge for the Canucks in this game. And the one thing about Desmith, and I'm not going to get too into it, but the one thing about Desmith that I think was really evident in his game today was just how much better he's gotten at tracking the puck since he got to Vancouver. And it was funny because when, when DeSmith was traded here, there was a lot of this kind of notion that, okay, well, him and Ian Clark aren't going to get along. And, you know, him being a little bit older and having had success in the NHL, you know, maybe he wasn't going to be changing his game the way we've seen, you know, guys like Braden Holpe, Jaroslav Halak come in and, and not really be able to adapt their game enough and find success in Vancouver. Yes, the, the defense is much better than the ones that Halak and Holby played behind, but DeSmith made huge improvements and just tiny tweaks in his game as well. Um, like If you go back and look at his starts at the at the beginning of the year, when I, I would argue that the Canucks were playing even better defensively, uh, when you go back and look at those starts at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of rebounds. There was a lot of uh, scrambling saves in the Canucks goal crease for Casey DeSmith. He, he's been quieter like he's been quieter he's been much better at putting pucks into the corner um you know tracking pucks through traffic and those are all things that him and Ian Clark have been working on and yeah, I just want to give credit to Casey DeSmith because he's been great all season long but he's really improved his game quietly and again the results have been there all year so maybe it's hard to notice but he looks like a much better goaltender right now than he did at the start of the year and again I know results are all that matter but I'm really happy if if you're looking at Casey DeSmith's game. I'm really happy with the strides that he's made. We're going to continue breaking this game down. And as we do that, I want to tell you about our sponsor of this segment. And that would be Four Winds Brewing. This is a presentation of our friends at Four Winds Brewing. Family owned and operated in Delta. Home to the Four Winds Light, Light Lager. A crisp, clean and easy drinking beer. A beer for everyone. A perfect beer for before, after or during the game. Elvis Merzlikens was slamming the Stone Cold style in the Columbus uh, locker room post game. We'll get to that in a second. Ask for Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. Okay, Harm, as we continue this breakdown, this is a bit of breaking news, so you may not have seen it yet. Aaron, jump in here and maybe give us an update here because you've seen it as well. Um, this tweet from Kobe Mayer, in his post-game media availability, Elvis Merzlikens said that he has requested a trade. Now, we heard this brought up on the broadcast. Also, sh- quick shout-out, Sam Constantino uh, and Mike Luck. Terrific job, especially Sam. Sam Constantino was one of the best color commentators I think I've heard in my life. He was fantastic. I was, I was. Look, uh, I know he gets a lot of heck a lot of heck especially in this market for his prospect reports um but sam did a fantastic job as a color commentator really really solid job by sam on this game uh with dan murphy and john shorthouse or and dave tomlinson of course not being able to do the game because they had to travel commercial uh which is something that is coming up now that they've been doing that all season long, but no longer on the team charter. So those guys head home uh, from Buffalo. Thankfully they made it home, but that tweet and and there's more to this as well. I think Aaron, and you can jump in and help us out here. Uh, This one from Mark shag. Elvis Merzlikens, I'm mad and I'm pulling the monster out of me. And no, he's not talking about the Cleveland Monsters, which is the AHL affiliate of the Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm pulling the monster out of me, says Elvis Merzlikens, after stumbling to a victory against a pretty banged up, totally out of gas Canucks team. This has huge Leafs getting delivered cases of Bud Light to their locker room after winning a round in the playoffs energy to me.
2: Yeah, I thought it was hilarious that as soon as he um, made the last save, celebrated like he won the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I'm like, dude, where are you guys in the standings? Like, great, like be fired up, be passionate after you win. Every every win's nice to feel. But that felt very over the top. And I guess it's been a very emotional hour for him. Now, this has been brewing for a while. And I get Merzliken's frustration because... Look, the last couple of years have been really, really difficult for him. He's been one of the worst starting goaltenders in the NHL, but this has been a bounce back year for him where Columbus has still really struggled defensively. And yet he's managed a pretty respectable 906 save percentage. I think league average is around 903 right now, which is pretty crazy to uh, consider how low the league average save percentage has dropped. And yet you look at like Spencer Martin has an eight eighty seven say percentage in thirteen games. Tarasov has an eight seventy five. despite that, he sort of became the third string goalie um about a week about a week, week and a half ago. And there was an article out with where they in ports ports line where the news first started to come out that, ok, they want to get a sort of maybe look at Tarasov and Uh, the younger talent that they might have in the goaltending pipeline, which sort of meant Merzlikens was being put on the back burner despite being their best goaltender and being on a pretty hefty contract. So you can understand why he's frustrated uh, and why he wants a fresh start because clearly he doesn't feel like the guy anymore.
1: There's so many things to this, Quads and Harm, that I'm confused about. A, the quote that he's, I'm mad and I'm pulling the monster (laughs) out of me. You won a game in a shootout. You allow three goals against. I don't really get what that means. You got to feel for the guy because he hasn't played since what, I think December 29th. He has the big ticket with a lot of money. So there's lots of pressure, but I feel like this guy was just sitting and waiting until he finally got in and he knew if he had a good performance, he was going to have his moment in the spotlight, literally in front of the camera and he's going to go off on the team. I don't know if he necessarily went off on the team. I get why he wants out. I don't see what teams would be interested in Elvis Merz Lincolns. I'll always bring it back to the Oilers. Of course, you know me. It was brought up that the Oilers were interested in Elvis. I don't get it. He's got brutal numbers. He's very expensive. I think he's at like $5.4 million. This guy, and you see things like this right after a game. I don't know. He's not a guy that I want on my team. That's for sure. I I mean, I thought about
2: Edmund. Yeah, go on, Harmon. I was going to say, look, from a Vancouver perspective, I think it's a great fit for, for the Oilers' him with, uh, with a <laughs> couple great contracts to have in uh, in net there. I think it's a great idea. Well, I thought about the Oilers for, for like a
0: hot second. I, I legitimately thought about the Oilers. Like, okay, well, they've needed a goaltender all year. We've heard the stuff about goaltending in Edmonton, of course. And like cap hit aside, the quote was brought up on the broadcast today about Merzlikin saying, I'm not a backup goalie. Well, you'd be splitting starts, and you'd be in danger of being a backup if you were in Edmonton with Stuart Skinner. I, it it, does, it just doesn't seem like a fit. So it's funny that you brought that up, Aaron, because I was just briefly like looking around at who might want him. Like Toronto's got issues in goal, but they're just waiting for their guy to get back. They're just waiting for jo- Joseph Wall to get back. So, like, I don't know. I'm looking around the league, and I, I legitimately can't find a suitor that like it makes sense for them to go trade for Elvis Merzlikens. Like, I can't find one.
1: I don't think it makes much sense for any teams, but that quote right there that you just said that he's not a backup goaltender. I don't know, buddy. When I look at your numbers, you got a three, two, four goals against, he does have a safe percentage that starts with a nine. I get, cause he was hyped up more when he came into the league, but I feel like you are playing like a backup goaltender right now. Hence why you, why you were the third string goaltender at this, but yeah, I don't know the market. I feel like Toronto would be the place cause it's just a, it's a crapshoot over there in the crease down in the east, so they could be an option. But you're right, quads. I don't, I don't see many options for this guy. I think he might be hanging out in Columbus.
0: Carolina just lost their really good rookie goaltender, so like maybe, maybe Carolina. But again, you're taking on such a big ticket. Anyways, we're not gonna keep talking about Elvis Lickens. I just thought that quote after a game like this was so, so funny, Harmon. And let's break down that game. Uh, I thought the Canucks came out with their foot on the gas, like immediately. I thought the Canucks were just going to take over this game i think it was the shot was either seven to nothing or nine to nothing through the opening like five minutes of the game really strong shift from the lotto line really strong shift from the third line as we've been accustomed to seeing uh lately but then columbus just comes back and then in the second and third period especially the tail half of the second period and the final uh the final period of course really looked like the Canucks were just completely out of gas and you can't blame them. Like we're not, we're not going to pick them apart here. You can't blame them for being out of gas Uh, with their seventh game in 12 nights. It was, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just think they ran out of gas in that final 20, maybe 30 minutes of the game.
2: Definitely. And you saw it, I think with the lot line, especially uh, with JT Miller in particular, where the number of giveaways that they had in all three zones was, um, was totally uncharacteristic of them i tracked seven giveaways for that line in the first 23 minutes of the game um, i think four or five of them were from uh from miller and and you had situations like early in the second where he had that sort of giveaway that um the smith bailed him out on and i think again that's actually it's almost even you can flip it into a positive where Yeah, okay, they scored the the goal early, but at 5-on-5 as a whole, the Lauderdale line wasn't controlling the game. They were getting hemmed in. It was definitely an off night for them. It it sort of felt like they were trying to make a controlled play at the offensive line and generate chances off the rush every time, even when Columbus was set in a pretty good defensive posture, defending the middle, and they were forcing plays when when they weren't really there, whereas in the past, why the Lauderdale line has been so successful is because yeah they can feast off the rush, but if they see that you're set defensively as an as an opposing team, they're fine to just chip and chase, get it back, and sort of create offense in that hardworking style. Whereas I just don't think they had the legs to turn to that route in this game, so they were trying to get it done uh, with um with their skill, which wasn't really working. But the point I was trying to make is at least as a positive, the other three lines held their own. Right, The fourth line, for instance, uh, had some really energetic shifts. I thought they were—they probably had the most pop, the freshest legs, obviously, because they played some of the least uh, minutes. Uh, and they did an important job of trying to stack heavy shifts where it's not just in those situations what you do in your 30, 40, 50 seconds when you're on the ice that, okay, we're spending time in the offensive zone. It sets the table for... The other lines where okay now the let's say the lotter line is stepping on the ice or the suitor line is stepping on the ice, and instead of being in a situation where let's say the fourth lines hemmed in their own zone defending, they barely gain the red line, they dump it in. If if you're stepping on the ice in that situation after a change, you're automatically in like a you're you're on your back foot. You're defending. You're passive. There's no opportunity to get sort of get going right away and create chances. Whereas if you have a fourth line that is at least making sure that they're getting the puck deep, spending some time in the o- offensive end, then a lot line, super line, whatever line comes on the ice. Now they're in the offensive zone and it's so much easier to uh, force a turnover to make sure that you're at least not defending um, and giving up a lot of chances. So I thought that was important in making sure that, the Canucks lineup sort of played a bend, don't break style in this game and made sure that they at least got the one point. So uh, I thought that was really interesting to note as well.
0: I don't think Rick Tockett is going to like the 1-1 goal, uh, the first goal from Columbus and the third goal. We're going to get to anyone else shortly, but I want to get to this one from Sniper. He said, what's up with Ian Cole? Is Juleson going to be our become our permanent sixth defender? I wrote instant reactions today over at CanucksArmy.com if you want to go read it. And I noted two times that there was rare miscues from Ian Cole. And both times it burns the Canucks. And I'm not, again, we're not trying to single out Ian Cole, but not getting the puck out and it ending up in the back of your net is the number one thing that Jim Rutherford complained about with this team when he got here and when he watched this team play in his first season in Vancouver. And they've really cleaned that up. So when you see stuff like that start to sneak back in, yeah, like, I know they have a few days off, but it goes back to what we talked about. You need Ian Cole to be at his best during the playoffs. Think of how little playoff experience this team has, right? Like like guys who have really been there, done that. I think the coaching staff is what they're going to rely on the most. But Ian Cole is one of the few guys on the roster who's been there, done that deep into the playoffs, and I I think you need him at your at his best, and he he isn't at his best right now. So I'm again. I'm not trying to pick on Ian Cole, of course. Um, I'm just saying that it, it, it's a nice luxury to have when you have a guy like Noah Juleson who can come back in and you can continue this platoon thing that we started to see with Ian Cole and Noah Juleson.
2: Yeah, I'm hoping Juleson can draw back in because you're right. It was a really rough game for Cole. I mean, even from the beginning of the game where I think it was a play where... I'm trying to remember exactly how it developed, but it was sort of a rush attack and... Good Goudreau was coming down off the puck. That was Cole's man. And Cole was just too slow and, and had to take got beat and had to take that hooking penalty, I think it was. The that pair's underlying numbers were really rough. They were uh outshot 12 to 6 in terms of attempts, not on goal. Um high chances were 4-0 for Columbus when Cole was on the ice at five on five. And you could just see it. He looked slow, he looked a little lethargic. It, you could tell him more than anyone else, that the fatigue of the road trip was starting to catch up. And thankfully, in terms of the big picture view of Cole down the stretch and how is he going to look in the playoffs, Canucks have at least gotten most of their difficult, long Eastern road trips out of the way. They've got one more, I believe, in February, but that's uh, that's pretty much it. So you hope that maybe Juleson getting in for a couple of games here, here and there to offer some load management coupled with less travel can help Cole back, get back on track because when he's at his best, the way he plays, the way he played early in the season, the level of defensive intelligence he has, the passes that he can break up, it brings a level of defensive calmness and composure that honestly reminds me a little bit of uh, what Edler or, or Tanev used to bring in terms of just that steady veteran presence, even on the penalty kill. And we just haven't seen that from him lately. I, I don't think this is just a, a one-off night type of sequence. I think his play has slipped probably for the last month or so, you could say.
0: I was a little bit surprised that he got back in. Um, just with playing in Buffalo, like I thought they were going to maybe alternate Juleson and Cole. I was a little surprised he was back in, mostly because of the travel woes that the Canucks had. And we alluded to it earlier, but just to touch on again, They get out from Buffalo eventually, but they ended up spending the night. They weren't expecting to have to do that. And then they had to drive to Toronto. And then this is yesterday on Sunday, drive to Toronto, fly from Toronto into Buffalo. They didn't get there until about 630 local time. And then they had a game at one o'clock. So no practice, no morning seat, nothing to get your legs ready. And I think the, the key thing that I'm not seeing people talk about a lot is that the team thought they might get out of Buffalo and go to Toronto on Sunday. Like they weren't sure if that was going to happen. So it wasn't like players could just, you know, go out or, or, you know, sleep in or do whatever they wanted. Like the players had to be ready to leave. And again, first world problems. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, be like, Oh no, look at how bad this situation was. Everybody has travel problems at some point in their life, but just to play the next day and for the start time, not to be moved at all. And again, no excuses in the NHL, but I just, I just thought it was a little bit, uh, Interesting that they would go right back to Cole, given those travel woes.
2: Yeah. And I think it was J-Pat had the tweet that they had a team meal at the Panda Express at the Pearson Terminal, which I, which I thought was uh, hilarious in terms of the situation that they um, got themselves in. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if I was necessarily expecting Cole to come out just because we haven't seen the coaching staff have a sort of long-term track record in terms of seven healthy D how are they going to manage this so I'm sort of looking at the coaching staff and how they're going to approach the situation sort of like a blank slate I'm not going in with any um, expectations I'm sort of in a wait and see mode and so it was interesting that they did go um, back to Cole um, in this one and now I think the bigger question is is he going to come out next game because with a couple of days off, they don't have to go down that route. It's not an automatic guarantee that we're going to see that happen. Um, obviously, for for us from the outside, it seems like that would be um, a worthwhile decision to consider. But that's something that I'm going to be watching for when we um, when the Connects next practice, or we see them at morning skate once they're uh, back at Rogers Arena.
0: Elias Peterson scores his 23rd goal of the season. And for those wondering on the daily faceoff survivor game, which we're going to talk about tomorrow, the ad reads tomorrow, but uh, I, I picked Quinn Hughes assist and Quinn Hughes picked up the assist there. So I'm alive. I'm alive heading into tomorrow. Uh, Elias Patterson with his 23rd goal of the season. Harden, this guy's got 10 goals in his last eight games does Elias Petterson And he is really, really starting to heat up, uh, right before our eyes. So I'm hoping there's a prop on Thursday to go get Elias Petterson uh, scoring a goal or registering a point in Wendy's daily face-off survivor. And as Aaron, look at Aaron go fastest hands in the West, pulls it up. Uh, Elias Patterson, the first star of the week named by the NHL. Also named first star of the week over at Canucks Army by Dave Hall, if anybody was curious. But first star of the week was Elias Patterson, um by the NHL. And I thought that was really interesting. We had to, we had to note it, that he's really heated up uh, since being put with the lotto line and is showing no signs of stopping. Okay. Anything else you wanted to get to before anyone else and before we stop talking about this uh, game against the Columbus Blue Jackets?
2: Yeah, I just wanted to quickly point out in relation to that Pedersen power play goal, they've been looking looking for that East-West Miller to Pedersen pass a lot over the last six weeks. I think a big reason why the power play has slowed down is because that pass always used to get picked off. Miller to Pedersen, I mean, it may not have even always been a clear interception but opposing PKs used to at least get a stick on it to slow the, the slow the pass down enough to where the opposition, opposition could take away the shooting lane or they used to be able to um, sort of at least change the angle of the pass so Patterson couldn't pull the trigger on a shot right away. So big shout out to JT Miller where even on a night where I think we can agree his defensive game, his puck management was definitely off the mark. He still found a way to make a gorgeous seam pass there, obviously scored earlier in the game as well. And I think that just goes to show um, the level that this team is playing at that even on a night where he was struggling for the most part, JT Miller still managed to put up two points.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Miller, again, Miller scores his 20th goal of the season. And like you said, he has also been really heating up. We're going to keep it right on the conversation with Patterson, uh and this top six as well as we get to anyone else presented by DoorDash. It is our listener's chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. That's right. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION, and the numbers 25 for 25% off your order with DOORDASH. DoorDash, multiple restaurants, stores, whatever you need. DoorDash has got you covered, so be sure to go check them out. And as my old co-host would say, ding dong, DoorDash. Time for anyone else. This one from Karan. I understand the lotto line is clicking, but how long until they move Petey back with Mikhaev and Kuzmenko? Now that Pedersen has his mojo back, he might be able to carry his own line. Given how those two guys have played, Andre Kuzmenko and Ilya Mikhaev. And given how the lotto line has played. I would not move the least back to that line. I think it'd be it'd be a really cool experiment to see just how badly those two wingers are playing that this guy who has 10 goals in his past eight games might legitimately go silent again at five on five if you put him with those two anchors, because right now, neither of those guys has it going. And I've brought it up in recent shows, and I'm probably look, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I'm exaggerating a little bit as I tend to do, but you're not split up the lot of line. And I don't, I don't think you, I, 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 I can't imagine a scenario where I think that's a good idea. I just can't.
2: Yeah. Pedersen's playing the best, even strength hockey. He has the entire season. I don't think he'd be thrilled if you were like, I know you've been having a ton of success with, uh, with JT and Brock and you finally have some high end line mates, but how about we put you back with, uh, with McAve and, and Kuzmenko, uh, especially just because the team's been winning. Like, This is a really, really successful road trip. You're probably going to have to juggle things up a little bit if and when you start losing some games and parts of your lineup get exposed. But for right now, it's still working. It's still working. I mean, it's working for them individually as a line. And more importantly, the team as a whole keeps winning. So uh, I wouldn't tinker, tinker with it yet.
0: Yeah, no, not yet. Okay, this one from Aiden Hammond. Worried that we haven't played behind enough. So when we get into the playoffs and face a deficit, we haven't been battle tested enough. Uh, and he points at the Bruins in last year's playoff outing. Uh, as an example of this, I don't know. Like, I, I don't I don't think so so much. I know they've obviously they go to 26-0-1 when leaving after two periods after today's game. That stellar streak that they had comes to an end, but I I don't want to get it confused with. Having to play from behind and coming back from a deficit, that getting confused with facing adversity because this team's faced adversity and like even if you look at recent years, like this core group of players, everything that they've been through, I don't think it's as simple as oh they're just they're riding to the top of the standings. Like this team's faced adversity this season as well, and I really I don't know. Like I, I don't, uh, I, I'm I'm not too too worried about that to be honest with you. I think the way they've gotten their leads and the way they've had to hang on to them. Like They've been battle-tested in that way. I don't think you need to worry about them coming from behind because in recent years, they've done that a lot. Like This team knows how to come from behind uh, when they're losing games. It's just they've been so good this season that they just haven't had to do that very much.
2: Yeah, I fully agree with you there. I think the more important skill that they really needed to learn this year was how to hold on to leads because, man, they were so dis- disastrous in that respect last year. They would just shoot themselves in the foot. Like, forget the other team overwhelming you, they would do both. They would shoot themselves in the foot and then they'd let the other team take over. It was uh, an absolute nightmare. And it's been a complete 180 degree flip now. And when it comes to playoffs in a higher pressure pressure situations, I think that's um, a probably a more important game state to be able to learn is how do you um, keep your composure, keep your cool in those situations Because I think that's probably more difficult, and it's really what you need to be able to close out playoff games and uh, a playoff series.
0: Okay, we got some headlines from over the weekend, so this will be my anyone else, because I'm sure everyone else has seen these. But five Canucks going to the all-star game. Harmon, Thatcher Demko, Brock Besser, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, and of course, Quinn Hughes, who was announced last week. Look, I think the NHL got it right. You want your guys who are in the top of the league scoring to be at the all-star game. And it's going to be very fun because we saw in overtime today when there were four guys on the ice, we saw all of their all-stars except for Demko on the ice at the same time. Uh, and I look, they're deserving of it, right? And we've talked about the flawed all-star process, talked about maybe Jason Dickinson gets into the all-star game. Um, yeah, the league got it right. The fans got it right. Not much more commentary, I think, from either of us on that one. Uh a little bit hard to believe that is JT Miller's first all-star game as a member of the Canucks. Yeah. I think that's uh pretty surprising. But hey, he's earned it with his play this year. And as someone else pointed out here, uh back in top three of league scoring.
2: Yeah. Uh I, I just have to say as a side note, by the way, I can't believe Georgiev got um nominated as an all-star. He's got an eight ninety-eight save
1: percentage. <laughs>
0: Like, so I had a few people message me that, like like when it was first announced, because it was G- G- Georgiev, uh, Bobrovsky, uh, and there was another goalie that got announced. I just can't remember who, and they're like, where is Satya Like, how is Satya Demko not going to be at the All-Star game? And of course, that wrong was righted. But yes, uh, Georgiev, I saw but- him go...
2: Yeah. Even Joey Decor, like how is he not in it over Georgiev? Because he single-handedly dragged Seattle back into the wildcard race. He's got like a 923 save percentage this year, playing like 26 or 27 games, taking over a Seattle starter. But no, 898 Georgiev gets uh gets in. And and you know what? Miller, with this being his first all-star game appearance, I think that's a perfect way to encapsulate why all- all-star game appearances don't don't carry weight when it comes to, I guess, like in the NBA, you can say, oh, this guy's a five time all star and it means something. It it just doesn't because Miller's clearly been that caliber of player year in, year out. Yet it, yet this is somehow the first time he's um, he's made it. That's actually pretty wild.
0: Yeah, I think there's going to be a got to be a little bit of a correction there, I would say. OK, a few more headlines from over the weekend, aside from these uh, these games and everything that happened. This was from Elliot Friedman, Cody Hodgson. Seeking a return to hockey seven years after his retirement. And we know Cody Hodgson has dealt with so many health issues. I have a quick take on this, Aaron, feel free to clip this because I think this is a great take and I got to talk to some more people about it. But my take is that you got, you got this great situation in Abbotsford, right? Where, it's a destination where people want to come, where players want to come. And we've heard this from guys like Phil Giuseppe, uh, Christian Willannon, especially guys with families that don't want to be traveling very far from the AHL to the NHL club. You got Abbotsford right there. I'm looking at it and saying, well, that's a pretty nice destination for perhaps Cody Hodgson to come back. I think it'd be a great story. I just think it would be an awesome story to tell. Awesome story to get to watch unfold. Your veteran presence is Cody Hodgson. Sign him. Go get him. Go get Cody Hodgson. Sign him back with the organization. I would love to see it. I would love to see it. That'd be pretty
2: cool. Although I'd be a little... I'd want to make sure a guy like Atu Ratu wouldn't all of a sudden have his minutes slashed. Like I'd want to make sure that the, the center depth works out in a way where you aren't impeding on your prospects ice time. But yeah, that, that would otherwise be a great story
0: it does depend what Cody Hodgson's looking to do from this right because like if he's looking to I want to prove myself and I want to get back to the NHL which he very well might then he's obviously going to look for the best situation and perhaps Abbotsford isn't that but if he's looking to just back into pro hockey and he's okay kind of you know he's like he's 34 years old being a bit more of a veteran presence and and being that guy who can kind of mentor the next level then yeah maybe Vancouver is a fit but uh Hi, David in the chat saying he's got to start in the ECHL and that might happen. Like that might happen. Maybe Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo will take him. Uh, But again, that's not quite the place that I'm thinking Cody Hodgson is setting his sights on, but we'll see. It's, it's an interesting story to follow. And of course we are wishing all the luck in the world to Cody Hodgson as he makes his return uh, to the NHL, or at least tries to make his return to pro hockey. Okay. The final one, Vancouver Canucks have expressed interest in KHL star, Sasha, I should have looked up the pronunciation, Chmelovsky, and I'm sure I didn't pronounce that right, but uh, this star, KHL star, sound familiar? Uh, Former San Jose, or excuse me, San Jose Sharks prospect. ESPN's Kevin Weeks first reported it on Saturday morning that the Sharks have begun fielding calls on Sasha C, who has spent the last two seasons with uh, a team in the KHL while also being on San Jose's reserve list, uh Mike Gould, our guy at Nation Network and one of our news writers at Nation Network wrote about him and he's watched him a lot. Um Chmowski is a 6-foot right-handed forward and Mike said he's, he's he was good, like he was good when he was in junior with the Ottawa 67's of the OHL. Um who knows, who knows maybe we'll see him eventually come over. hasn't been able to uh find a home in North America yet. He is represented by Dan Milstein, which I think uh, makes this a little bit more interesting because we've seen what it's looked like for the Canucks with Andre Kuzmenko. And like by all accounts, Milstein and Kuzmenko are still happy uh, with Vancouver and there's no bad blood there. So hey, maybe maybe it can still work out. Uh, it was Rick Dollywall that made the Canucks connection. He said the Canucks have reached out to show interest in this player. And in brackets, Dollywall tweeted, that is a tough name to pronounce it <laughs> absolutely is Harmon. anything on uh Sasha C yeah
2: I don't know him too much in terms of I haven't seen how much of a step he's taken in um in the KHL so I don't have a lot of analysis to uh to share but yeah I mean I, I do think it's interesting anytime you got the Dan Milstein connection you always see the connect sort of sniffing around we saw Of course, uh, last year, even with uh, Kraftsov, the Canucks wanting to sort of roll the dice. Obviously, in this case, because he, Sasha has, I think, a much better scoring profile. He's not going to come super cheap like Kraftsov did. So that's going to be an important difference maker. Uh, And you also sort of have to weigh when the Canucks are looking to make moves here. They've got. Of course, only a certain amount of expendable assets in terms of draft picks and prospects, and how many of those are going to be first allocated as a top priority to bolstering the roster for this season. Uh, you know, potentially adding a top six forward, maybe even beefing up the back end. So, uh, I'm you know, it makes sense for the Canucks to sniff around, do their due diligence. Uh, but given the circumstances of where they where the Canucks' priorities are at right now, it, I'd be a little bit surprised if they end up winning the sweepstakes here.
0: Uh, 21 goals and 22 assists for Sasha C through 50 games in the KHL. And Corey Anderson put a pronunciation in uh, Chmelsky is how it's pronounced. So I think I can handle that. I think I can handle that. Uh, but who knows? Ty David said, can he play with structure, though? That is the uh, that is the big question. Uh, Sasha was a six round pick of the San Jose Sharks in the 2017 NHL entry draft. And I just found this out. He was born in Huntington Beach, California. American American that name really, really threw me off and he's a right-handed center. So of course, uh, we'll keep our eye on it. We'll keep our eye on that. See what comes out of that final headline from me. The NHL all-star jerseys that look like they are brought to you and designed by Frito Lay. Of course, the company behind Doritos. My goodness these are something else. These are, these are tough looking and Aaron, you, you brought it up. They kind of look like uh, a certain uh, childless show. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Power Rangers. For those of you on podcast, Aaron made that connection and that's why uh, Aaron is a very special guest producer for us to have today. That is a great poll, Aaron. That is a fantastic poll. And yeah, I just, they look pretty bad, man. They look pretty bad.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you wanted something like that, I could have just gone to my local, gone to my local elementary school and literally picked out anyone in a kindergarten class and been like, "Hey, kid, here's here's your college fund from college fund from the NHL. Just do whatever you want." And they, and it would probably look something like that. I, I
0: thought you were going a different direction. I thought you were gonna say they look like the pennies that you would have to wear in school, and they're not not that far off from that either. I mean, like that's the- a pretty good analogy too. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know, I it, it's tough. It's always tough to design an uh all-star jersey. Like the MLB All-Star Game jerseys, I think were even worse this past year. And of course I had to bring baseball into it, but those were even worse, I think, this past year. And that was when the Mariners hosted it too. But Anyways, um, I think those are all the headlines that I wanted to get to. Did you have anything else to close out anyone else, Harmon?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you just leave it to Austin Matthews' buddy, Justin Bieber, and, and his company to design it. Of course, you're going to end up with uh, with something like that. But I mean, it, I'll say, like, when we say we want the NHL to be creative, think outside of the box, It. I didn't exactly picture it like this, but at least they tried something. <laughs> At least
0: they tried. At least you tried is the analysis that we're going to offer up on the NHL's all-star jerseys. All right. Uh, we'll close it out on Betway here. This was a fun show. And like I said, folks, tomorrow we will be back um, and we'll break down the road trip kind of as a whole and a little bit more big picture. Today was more of a recap, of course. Let's get to our Betway bet of the day brought to you by our friends over at Betway. Pull it up, Aaron. Harmon, you're going to love it. Aaron and <laughs> oh, I put all no. Aaron and I put all two of our brain cells together and came up with this one.
1: It's our Aaron. year quads. It's going to be our year this year. We all know it's, I know Harmon hates baseball talk, but I no. had to stick this one in here. Well,
2: I dislike baseball talk. I especially hate when you guys hop on the Braves bandwagon and act like, you know, they're going to be champions when they're just going to flop in the postseason again. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty fair (laughs) there, Harmon. That That is kind of exactly what happened earlier this year on the show. You guys did a play-by-play
2: breakdown of the show of, (laughs) like, the game-winning, what was it, a catch, a hit to close (laughs) out the game? Like a play-by-play, slow-mo recap, only for them to go out and lose the series.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So I love the Braves, also Sneaky Bet Squads, all special guest it. I like the Bucks plus three tonight in Monday night football. Also NHL all-star Alexander Gorgiev is taking on the Canadiens. Maybe some puck line love right there as well. But Harmon, I laughed when you said you could go down to the elementary school for those jerseys. I said on my pregame show, I could have asked my 10 year old nephew, give him a box of Crayolas and he could have come out with something like that. You don't want to bitch about all-star jerseys too much because it's just a jersey Those are those are wretched beasts right there. That's I don't want to see Connor McDavid wear that.
0: Yeah, Uh, must be 90 plus play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. (laughs) Ty David jumped in with this. Has the city of Atlanta ever won anything? And the first thing that comes to mind, of course. Yeah, the right at an NHL franchise three times because they're about to get it for the third time. The thrashers are coming back, baby. Um, Karan said, I still remember that pod. Most painful 20 minutes of my life when they talked about the catch. And Corey Anderson said, I take back the welcome back, Aaron. Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us, buddy. We really appreciate you taking the time to be our uh, special guest producer today. And you did a fire job as always. Uh, best of luck to you, but not the Oilers. Hopefully it's a first round matchup though. That'd be so fun if the Canucks win the Pacific, but I, I really don't see Edmonton finishing in the second wild Ball. Like if you look at points percentage and you look at how hot Edmonton's been lately, there's no way the Oilers, like the Oilers might finish third in the Pacific. Like, let's be honest here.
1: These numbers aren't accurate because this was from earlier this morning. But the LA Kings are in an absolute free fall right now. The Oilers, we all know, ten in a row, franchise record. What about it? And we're on our way, climbing back up. But quads. I do want to say before I leave, this this show and those lovely people in the YouTube chat have made me an honorary Canucks fan a little bit. After doing this for a year, it's been great to watch the Canucks play well this season, because I remember last year driving that tank through villages on every single show we did as the tank rolled on. Looks like the tank was pretty successful. You didn't get Bedard, but you now have first place in the Pacific Division. So congrats to you guys. Harm, you're doing great on the show. Babes, I miss you, but you're dead to me now. So there you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the, that's the show's favorite take is we miss you, but you're dead to us now. Um, this one, this is really funny here because people in the chat think I'm joking about the Atlanta NHL thing. No, the, the NHL is legitimately going back to Atlanta. Oh yeah. Like, like I'm not making this up. Google NHL Atlanta and you'll see, we covered it at Canucks army as well. Um, the, they built this site and they're making a serious pitch to be an expansion team, uh, maybe relocation. I don't know what's going to happen, but they're making a strong push. I'm serious. Like, go look it up. NHL Atlanta is coming back for a third time. Don't know if it'll be the Thrashers uh, for a second time, but it looks like the NHL might actually be going back to Atlanta. We'll see, of course, where it goes. Aaron, thanks so much, man. We appreciated it. We loved I love having you on. all. Yeah, we'll close it out there. For my co-host, Harmon Dial, and our technical producer, Aaron Bordado, my name is David Guadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it,
1: go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app.